today's sermon passage is Ephesians 2, 17 through 22. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. Please be seated and please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, I pray over this room now that the truth that Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again so that sinners can be forgiven, lost can be found, strangers can be brought near, those who feel cast off may be loved, and Christ would be exalted by all, I pray that this truth would resound in this room today. Lord, I pray that no one in this room would feel too far from you to be redeemed by Jesus. I feel that no, I pray that no one in this room would feel too broken and depleted to know that your love and mercy abound in Christ Jesus. I pray that no one in this room would feel so overwhelmed with hopelessness. That we would not feel that in Christ there is hope forevermore. I pray that no one in this room would feel so stuck in our sin and rebellion that we would not feel that Jesus at work by the power of the Spirit can deliver everyone. Now, Lord, you must apply that to us. You must convince us that it is true. And you must shake us to believe that in Christ all is made new. And Lord, I'm praying over this room that we would believe that personally, but we would also look up and look out toward 
our neighborhoods and toward our friends and toward our schools and toward our workplaces and toward the ends of the earth and see that the power of Christ to redeem and restore and save and heal is enough there also. And so, Lord, I'm praying in this room that you would motivate us to be ambassadors for Christ everywhere and always. This is our prayer, Father. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't already, please take your Bible or your your smartphone, if that's how you want to do it. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Every so often here at Redeemer, we want to go back to the very beginning. We want to go back to the very beginning and ask this question. Why does the church exist? We want to go back and we want to ask the question, why does Redeemer Church exist? Why, eight years ago, did we set out to start something new in this community for the glory of God? Why? So for the next few weeks, we're going to enter into a series called The Foundation. And the reason that we're going to do this is because I believe that all the good things happening here at Redeemer could potentially be that which distracts us from Christ and His grace and His gospel and His mercy. And I believe that if you and us and we fail to cling to the truth that Jesus Christ came to build a people who together have access to God through Him, we will be building in vain. So I want to get this very, very clear. I don't think that God is most interested in crowds. And I don't think God is most interested in what we do on Sunday mornings. And I don't think God is most interested in budgets or modular buildings or giving campaigns. Come back at 6 o'clock tonight and we're going to talk about all of those. Everyone who laughed has to give $1,000. And you too. We're almost done with our gold now. We don't have to come tonight. Just write your checks, all you who laughed, and we'll be done. But I don't think that's what God is most interested in. What God is most interested in is building a people who know that in Christ we have access to God and to His grace and to His mercy and to His saving power that changes everything and we glorify Him and tell of His greatness together and apart always and everywhere. That's what God is interested in. And so the foundation of the church is the testimony that Jesus Christ saves sinners according 
to the Word of God and according to the plan of God. The testimony of the church is that we deserve nothing from God, but He's given us everything at His initiative for His purposes and for His glory. That's our testimony. And if we lose that foundation, we are laboring in vain. But if we build on that foundation, all things are possible. So I'm glad you're here today. If you're our guest, I am delighted that you are here today. And I want to invite you back again and again and again to hear the wonderful news that Christ came and lived and died to save sinners, to forgive sin, to reconcile men and women and boys and girls to God, to build a new people, to make all things new, and to do so forever. I want to invite you back because that's what we speak of. That's the gospel that we believe. That's the gospel that we live. That's how we grow as disciples. That's how we bear fruit in the world. And that's how the world is ultimately going to be changed upon that foundation that is the saving power of Jesus as proclaimed by God, by the Spirit, through the apostles, and through the prophets. That is the truth, and that is the foundation, and that is the foundation upon which we want to build. Now, I'm going to talk about that for about 35 more minutes, but if you're done, there it is, okay? So Ephesians 2, verses 17 through 22, tells us what our foundation is. And over the next few weeks, we're going to explore this foundation further by considering for God's glory as part of the foundation, in Christ as part of the foundation, by the Spirit as part of the foundation, and for the kingdom as part of the foundation. But today, I want us just to explore this idea of the foundation. And the question we're trying to answer is this. Why does the church matter? Why does this church matter? So let me just do an aside. Most people look at a church like ours and think that we're the people who are morally better, or at least we think we're morally better, who we're the people who act better, and we're the people who have it all together. That's what most people far from God and outside the church think of the church. And if you know me, and if you know yourself, that is a ludicrous idea. So if you don't want to listen to me for the next 30 minutes, let me give it to you in 90 seconds. This room is filled with a bunch of misfits. Spiritual misfits who made train wreck out of our lives, who have made multiple mistakes and sinful rebellion against God, heaped upon multiple mistakes and sinful rebellion against God. But God, 
in his mercy, sent his son Jesus to enter our rebellion, to enter our brokenness, to enter our transgression against him, and at great cost to himself, he purchased salvation for all who will believe. The church is a hospital for spiritually broken people. The church is a hospital for people who know we don't have it together, but God spoke his word. Who know we don't have it together, but Jesus died for us. That is the foundation. So let's just get all that pretense and all that mess out of the way. So if you're here today and you hurt, welcome. We hurt too. If you're here today... And your life is messed up because you've made some bad choices. Welcome. We're a bunch of people with messed up lives because we made bad choices too. If you're here today and you're stuck in a pattern of rebellion or a pattern of addiction that you can't be broken out of, welcome. We are too. But Christ came. Christ lived. Christ died, Christ rose again so that we could meet him and be changed. That's the message. That's the foundation of the church. And that's all we're trying to do is build upon that foundation for the glory of God. Now let's look at what Paul says about this in Ephesians chapter 2. So to be sophisticated, for those of you that want me to be sophisticated. The main point is the church is a people granted access to God through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. The church is a people granted access to God through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. This access is to be shared and experienced together. This access was costly to God and revolutionary for us. Let's take those in turn and let's wrestle with this idea of what is the foundation of the church. Point one, if you choose to take notes today, God's idea. God's idea. Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, is driving home the point that saving sinners, building a people, and unifying those people whom he saved into a church was God's idea. So saving sinners, building a people who know Christ, and unifying those people into something that we call the church was God's idea. And this is hugely important. Why does the church exist? Because God created the church at great cost to himself, the death of his son. Now look at, the, look at the passage with me. Notice the only actor in this passage is God. Verse 17. He came and he preached peace. Verse 18. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 22. In him... You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The he and the him 
in this passage is Jesus Christ. Verse 13, if we were to go back, tells us, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And verse 22 tells us, In Him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God. I'm sorry, verse I messed that up totally. Verse 21, In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a temple. The whom is Christ Jesus. So the point of this passage is that the church is God's idea. It was God's idea to gather and to redeem a people who together would enjoy His salvation and together would worship Him and together would glorify Him and together would be built up into His dwelling place among us. So the church is God's idea. Now this speaks to our question deeply. Why does the church exist? Fundamentally because God decided to create the church. And God does not make mistakes. And God is not prone to error. He doesn't make error. And God saw fit that it was best for His world, for those whom He redeemed, those whom He saved, those whom He delivered from sin, to be united into something called the church. Now, our understanding of the Bible says that if God says it, it's true. And if God says it, we're called to deal with it. And so if this passage is saying that redemption was God's idea and the church was God's idea, then really every other question becomes secondary. Jesus died to build a people who would be united together by faith in Him, and it is called the church. So this idea of the church is God's idea. That might be the shortest first point in the history of redeeming. But I hope the punch is felt clearly. This passage tells us that God acted at God's initiative to send His Son to redeem a people who would be built into a church that would last forever to glorify His name to the ends of the earth and for all of eternity. The church was God's idea. So by way of application, before we leave this first point, if we profess faith in Jesus. We need the church of Jesus. If we profess faith in Jesus, we need the church of Jesus. Exclamation point. You know, if we spoke Spanish, we'd put the upside down exclamation point at the beginning so that you'd read it the right way the whole time. If we have faith in Jesus, we need the church of Jesus. Now, here's what I notice about Hendersonville. We come to church on Sunday. Get our spiritual pick-me-up for the week. Oh, by the way, if you're from Gallatin or Gillisville or White House, I'm talking to you too, okay? So here's what I notice about Sumner County. Come to church on Sunday, and then we leave here around 1146 this morning, and we live like the church doesn't exist. 
We live like we're left to ourselves to figure it out. But the church is not a building. And the church is not a worship service. The church is a people who know Jesus and walk through this world for his glory. And it was God's idea. And so my challenge to all of us today, like we're here, right? So yeah, we need the church, man. I got out of bed. I got the kids dressed. I got here with like 30 seconds to spare. You made me walk across the street to get in here. I know I'm going to miss kickoff to the Titans game. I get church. But just because you're here this morning doesn't mean that we get the idea of church because church is a people who know the saving power of Jesus and want together to share in this great gift that is being reconciled to God. Second point we see in this passage, a new people, a new people. The passage tells us, Jesus Christ came to build a people for the glory of God. So notice what happens here. We'll kind of take it from the bottom to the top. Now we're going to take it from the top to the bottom. Sorry, I'm rewriting in the moment. Never good at doing it. Jesus Christ came to build a people for the glory of God. So look at verse 17 with me. It says that Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off. And peace to those who were near. For through Jesus, both those who were far off and those who were near have access in one spirit to the Father. So what Paul is saying is people who were spiritually far from God, who were physically viewed as unacceptable to God, Christ came to them and preached peace. As if to say there's a place for everyone in the kingdom that I am building. The context of Ephesians 1 and 2 is, is a Jew-Gentile context. The idea of the people who were unacceptable, who were unclean, who were sinful, who were curmudgeons, who were outcast, who were rebellious, that Christ came and said, Come to me and I will give you rest for your weary souls. Sinful, broken, rebellious people are invited to have peace with God through Jesus. Amen. And, though this is really important, He came and He preached peace to those who were near. Do you see that? Near there means the Pharisees. It means the religious people. It means the ones who thought they had it all together. That they had to be acceptable before God because they're good people who do the good things that God tells people to do. And Jesus came and said, you need to be delivered of your self-righteousness and you need to be delivered of thinking that you could ever perfectly earn my favor because no one can. You're all sinners. You're just as far off as those who are far off. And so Christ had to come and preach peace to those who were near 
also. So my idea, the church is not this thing for those who have it together, but it's a hospital for the spiritually sick and the spiritually broken. What verse 17 tells us is everybody's sick and everybody's broken no matter what they think of themselves. And Christ came to all and said, I come to preach to you peace with the Father through me. So the message is peace to everyone. The result of Christ's work to build a new people is a people who have a new relationship to God. Look at verse 18. For through Jesus, those who were far off and those who were near are offered or given access to God the Father through the Spirit of God. Do you see that? What we're being told is that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again so that everyone who was spiritually needy could be given forgiveness and reconciliation and adoption and acceptance into God's presence such that we have access to Him. We can speak to God and be heard. We can cry out for mercy and receive. We can confess our needs and be cared for. We can be loved in our brokenness. We can be tenderly shepherded in our waywardness. Sinners have access to God through Jesus Christ. And then Paul shifts. Paul shifts from access to a building metaphor. Paul shifts from access to the Father to a building metaphor. And look, I'm not one of those manly guys that like builds things on the weekends just for fun, okay? Like I'm the guy that when I go to Home Depot, like the staff all runs away because they're like, oh no, he's going to ask a ton of questions. But I think I know enough to understand the building metaphor that Paul gives here. He says that Jesus died to build a people. And the, the cornerstone, the cornerstone, is Jesus himself. That's in verse 20 and 21. So the cornerstone of an ancient building was the anchor. It was literally a rock upon which the totality of the weight of the building sat. The cornerstone set the guidelines for the rest of the foundation. If the cornerstone is faulty, the building falls. If the cornerstone is weak, the building falls. If the cornerstone is misaligned, the foundation will be misaligned and the building falls. And what we're told is the cornerstone of the church is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. What he did as he lived and died and rose again is the cornerstone of the people of God. We are forever held up by Jesus, and by what Jesus has done for us. He's the strength of the building. He is the pace setter of the building. He draws the lines of demarcation for the building. He is the cornerstone. 
And so the church holds together in Christ. And as long as we're standing on the power of the grace of God at work in the gospel of Jesus, we're upon a sure foundation. Because we're upon the cornerstone. And then we're told in verse 20 and 21 that the cornerstone, then a foundation was added of the apostles and the prophets. So, so I don't want to get too much into the deep weeds of, of linguistics here, but apostles and prophets were God-chosen, ordained messengers to ensure that the message of who Jesus was was rightly preserved. So the apostles and the prophets were God-chosen messengers to ensure that the message of Jesus was rightly preserved. And so in many ways, the message of Jesus, not in many ways, in every way, the message of Jesus has come to us through the apostles and the prophets who were led by the Spirit to preserve the message of God in the Word of God such that with accuracy and without error and with truthfulness we could encounter Jesus as He really was. So the cornerstone is Jesus and the foundation is the ministry of the apostles and the prophets which is primarily recorded for us in the Scriptures. So what he is saying is that the church is a new people built upon Jesus and the message of Jesus for all times and in all places. And then in verse 22, he tells us that this church is still being built. And the idea is everyone who believes in Jesus becomes another brick in the wall built upon the foundation of, the, of Jesus and the apostles and the prophets for the glory of of God. So the church was God's idea, and the church is a new people brought near to God by Jesus, clinging to the message of Jesus always and everywhere for the glory of God. So you might say, okay, Jamie, then what's the, the foundation? Well, in many ways, the, the foundation is the message of the apostles and the prophets. But I would say it this way. The foundation is that the church is a people granted access to God through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. We are a people who have real, tangible access to God through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. I would just say this to you today. The most important question that you could wrestle with is how do I respond to Jesus? How do I respond to the cornerstone? Jesus, in his own words, said it this way. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus is saying, you're weary, you're heavy laden, you're in rebellion, you're hurting, 
you need help, come to me and I will meet your spiritual needs. I will minister to you. I will save you. I will redeem you. And I'll make all things new in you and through you. Today, I would invite you, if you have never come to a place to say, I know that I need to confess Christ and be delivered and redeemed and saved, I would invite you to speak to God and say something like this, I know that I'm a sinner, I know that I need your help, and I believe that Jesus died to save me and to deliver me. I I would say, confess that to God today. He will hear you and he will respond. Come to me and tell me that. Come to one of our church leaders and tell me that. Come to the person that brought you here today and tell me that. Talk to the person that you go to lunch with today and tell them that. But tell them that you know you need Jesus and you believe that Jesus will save you because he will. Now, churchy people, our cornerstone is Jesus. Our foundation is the apostles and the prophets and the word of God. And we Fail to be the church when we don't build upon that cornerstone. When we don't build upon that foundation. Third point. Final point, I promise. A growing people. A growing people. I want you to notice third, that in this passage, this people that Jesus is building is an incomplete building. Look, outside right now, there is a poured foundation, there's a hole, there's a pile of dirt, there's a building that goes in the hole, and I want with everything in my, every fiber of my being for it to be done, for us to have a permit, and for me to say this project is over. You can say amen to that, by the way. Okay, but when it comes to the church of Jesus, The people of God who know Christ, the building is never done until Christ comes again. And the minute that we assume that the building is complete, we are no longer on the good foundation. See if I can show you this in the passage. So he said that we were built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. The whole structure is joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That's a place where God makes his presence manifest in the world. And in Jesus, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you notice the tense of the verb there? You are also being built. The idea is that the building is not complete. But the idea is that the purpose of the building is to be devoted to the Lord, and the purpose of the building is to bring home that everyone the Lord desires to bring home. So this truth calls us to two things. It calls us to discipleship and it calls us to mission. It calls us to discipleship and it calls us to mission. Discipleship is a big churchy word that simply means those who know Christ becoming more like Christ. 
So we read the scriptures, we pray, we confess our sin, we ask for grace, we ask for mercy, we love our neighbor as ourselves, we love one another, we turn away from anger and wrath and maliceness and addiction and brokenness, and we turn toward Christ to be more like him. That is personal discipleship. The ministry of discipleship is helping one another be more like Jesus. And this passage calls us to discipleship because in verse 21 it says that the whole structure is joined together to grow into a holy temple in the Lord. Jesus redeemed us. His spirit is with us. But he desires that we walk in a life that glorifies him For his sake and for his testimony. This passage says that the church is not complete because we're incomplete. The church is not complete because you and I are incomplete. This passage says we seek to grow in Christ because it's the ministry of God to build a church of people wholly devoted to God. Second. The church is not complete because all the bricks are not in the walls yet. The church is not complete because the church is currently being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And if we believe that the church is not complete, then we will be the people who are beating the bushes and pounding the pavement and living differently in our neighborhoods and our schools and at athletic events and in our workplaces as a way to say, Christ is real, Christ is good, Christ is powerful, come and meet Jesus. Because the church is not yet complete. So the church was God's idea of a new people to manifest His glory to all the earth. And the church is a growing people called to discipleship and to mission. In conclusion, look at verse 19 with me. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. When Jesus built a new people, he built a new people who would together labor for discipleship and mission to the glory of God. We are not in this alone. Jesus created the church so that we could serve one another, help one another, walk with one another, and minister to one another to the glory of His name. This is our foundation, that we are a people who have been brought near by Christ to have access to God by the Spirit. If this piques your interest, we're going to continue exploring this foundation over the next few weeks. If this piques your interest, I would love to talk more with you about it. If this piques your interest, I would love to share with you how Christ has been at work in my life and in this church for us to experience the great power of His 
gospel. If you're a part of this church that we call Redeemer, I would invite you to recognize that church is no accident, but it's God's idea. That gathered people are no accident, but it's for our good. And that imperfect people are not a problem, but they're why the church exists to begin with. So we would welcome your imperfection here as we seek to glorify God together. Worship team, you guys go ahead and come up. Father and our God, we thank you for who you are. We pray now that you would be at work in this room to draw men and women, boys and girls, to you, to bring salvation, to bring dependence upon you, to bring a love for your saving grace that changes all things. Would you do this, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we're going to sing and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a meal initiated by Jesus for Christians. It's a meal for those who have professed faith in Christ, who have said, I know that Christ has died to cover my sin. We take the bread and we take the cup as a reminder that God's mercy and grace is real and tangible. If you're here to, today and you're at a place where you're like, man, I don't know that I'm ready to believe that. I don't know that I'm ready to confess that Jesus is Lord. We would ask that you let the bread and the cup pass by. But we would say, even now, consider that Jesus himself came and lived and died so that all men far and near could be brought close through him.